Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And you're in for a treat today because we get to talk to an author and he's a creator. He's worked with Google and all types of companies that you've heard of. Probably the biggest is Netflix, Airbnb, um, and a few others that um, I know what they are, but you might not know what they are because it's in the tech world. And so he's going to share with us today two things that I, well, really three things that I absolutely love and live for, which is time and productivity. And that equals profitability. And so he has a new book out. I believe it's his second book. And he is going to share some of that insight with us today where we can talk about how to be really focused in your business and then how to keep distraction away and then really make time for the things that matter, which I think I know the one word simple answer for this is just to be able to say the word no, which is really hard. <laughs> so, uh, John, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to share all kinds of stuff. You have quite the background. Um, before we dive in to talk about your new book and technology and productivity and profitability and all that stuff, take us back, like, where did you grow up and where did you start to understand that time and things that mattered is far more important than a dollar amount. Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. What's up, GSD leaders? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Business Unveiled, where we share expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals. You know we're going to take you behind the scenes of our experiences, share with you what we've learned from them, and how it's made us stronger. Because no one said it's easy owning a business, right? But it's a lot more fun when you've got a strong support team around you. And that's exactly what we do at GSD Creative. We're right there by your side. And I'm so excited that you've chosen this podcast to take the first step in growing a productive, profitable, and successful, wildly successful business within the hospitality and creative industry. Today's podcast is being brought to you by one of my favorite platforms, Kajabi. So stop trading your time for money. Kajabi provides digital entrepreneurs an all-in-one platform which enables you to create a life of freedom on your terms, whatever that may be. Everything is housed under one platform. So there's really no need for multiple services. Kajabi really has all of the tools that you need in one place if you're looking for a home to share your knowledge and build online courses. You have a community of like-minded people with proven success in selling knowledge online and the support with Kajabi is amazing. Give it a try today bit.ly slash a p kajabi i grew up in rural wisconsin i grew up in a very small town a town of about a thousand people and i was always kind of a nerdy kid so from a, a young age i i had to make my own fun and so i remember you know my my kind of 
picture of childhood that I have in my head is, you know, certainly it's playing outside in the summer and, and you know, all that stuff. But, it, but it, it's also like spending hours alone, just deeply immersed in stuff that I cared about, you know, and that, that obviously changed over time. You know, when I was, when I was really young, it was playing with Legos and blocks. And as I got older, you know, it was, it was as after we got our first computer, it was doing design work on the computer. And then, uh, you know, I was really into music and, and that kind of stuff. But, but that, you know, I sort of developed this love and this appreciation for just deeply immersing myself, just diving into that work, those activities, those projects that required and rewarded uninterrupted focus. And I, and I don't know where it came from, but, the, but that kind of became its, its own reward, you know, the, that sense of accomplishment, that sense of satisfaction. Um, and I ended up uh, getting into design. So I, I, I studied journalism, but I, um, I started working at a newspaper during college where I was a designer and got really interested in just, you know, how, do you, how do you figure out how a product or a service or, or a company, how should that look? How should it work? How should it, you know, what features should it have? That just became really, really interesting to me. Um, and so I ended up uh, pursuing a career as a technology designer and worked for a small startup in Chicago that was acquired by Google and then worked inside of Google and worked at YouTube. And, uh, and around 2011, I got this job at a place called Google Ventures. And this was a, a d- division of Google, but it's, um, it's a venture capital firm that's funded by Google and invests in outside companies. So outside independent startups that have nothing to do with Google other than the fact that Google has invested some money. Mm-hmm. And my job there was sort of like a consultant to these companies. So after we made an investment, I would go inside that company and work with that team. And that's kind of where I really developed the appreciation and the perspective that I now have for, for time, for focus, for, for productivity, because I would go from company to company to company and work with all these different teams. And these people that I worked with, they were amazing. They were so brilliant. They had every reason to succeed. Um, yet again and again, I saw how they struggled to focus their time as individuals and as teams on the parts of their business that really mattered, you know, the stuff that creates value for their customers. Um, And just like the rest of us, they found themselves sitting in too many meetings and uh, answering too many emails and getting distracted by, by, you know, Twitter and Facebook and the news and, and all that stuff. And so um, in my, my, my time at Google Ventures, I began to really work on developing systems and processes and frameworks that these people could use to really focus their time on the, on the work that mattered. Well, and you, you have quite the extensive list of companies to me that are like leaders in productivity. So like working with Slack and working with Airbnb and working with Uber. I mean, to me, they have to run an incredibly productive tight ship or they would not be able to grow the way that they have grown over time. Or am I wrong to think that? (laughs) Well, I, you're not wrong. I think it's an interesting dynamic because I think what, what makes those companies so, what makes them so amazing and enables them to grow so quickly is the ways that they use technology to scale their business. Um, And I think that 
and this happens at Google, this happens at Facebook, this happens at all the big tech companies, as well as the ones that you mentioned. Um, I think that the scale and the leverage that comes from technology actually hides a lot of inefficiencies. I think that um, because they have such an amazing business model, um, they can get away with not being ultra productive. Um, and I think if you, if you go to talk to any, um, anybody who works at any of those companies, and this is certainly the way that I felt when I was a full-time employee um, at Google, you, you don't feel like you're spending your time well. You feel like you're, you're, go, you're going to meetings all day and then in the space between meetings, you're, you're staying on top of your email and then maybe if you're lucky, like by the end of the day, you'll have some free time to actually do whatever your like, real job is. You know, if you're, oh you're a designer, God. you're a product manager, you're a coder, you're a marketer, like that's when you get to finally do that stuff. And so I think that... Um, the, the people who work at those companies really struggle with that, just as we all do. And I think that they have an mm-hmm. sort of an extra challenge, which is that tech companies are the most eager and the most willing to adopt new technologies internally, right? Yeah. So, you know, they are by nature tech enthusiasts. And so when there's a new chat app, a new project management app, a new video conferencing app, whatever it might be, they're going to try that. They're going to say, oh, let's, let's, in, let's, build that into our process. Um, yep. And before you know it, you've got like 16 different inboxes to check and you've got to like keep all these things updated and, oh, are we, is, did you put it in that doc or this doc? And so I think that, that um, for, for Jake, my, my co-author, Jake Knapp and I, being inside that environment gave us, gave us two interesting perspectives. One was um, what I just said, which is that we kind of were struggling and then eventually learning to thrive in an environment that was really saturated with technology and information, but also gave us kind of this inside view as to how a lot of technology products are made. So why do we find email so difficult to, to deal with? Why do we find Instagram so irresistible. Just having the perspective of being a little bit behind the scenes, I think enabled us to um, kind of step outside of it and help people kind of get control of it and and create a a better relationship with some of those tools. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that like just a huge buzz phrase is like productivity hacks, 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 like productivity hacks. Like what are your thoughts around using these productivity hacks, which I would love to know what your favorite is, but how do you find out what that one right thing is? Uh, well, I've got kind of a, a different perspective on productivity. Um, Tell us. <laughs> love to know. <laughs> so, so on the, I don't know, fifth page, maybe third page uh, of our book, Make Time, we say this book is not about productivity. Um, and and that that philosophy comes from something that I experienced early in my career, where I had, uh, you know, I'd grown up, like I said, being kind of really into these these projects, and then going to college, and then being out in the real world, and feeling like I wanted to make the most of that opportunity that I had in my first real job. You know, going from a structured environment of college where it's, you know, go to class at this time and do your work in this way. And even if you have a big project in, in, a, in a class, it's like they break it down for you and they say, okay, first you're going to have the, the you know, uh, bibliography, you know, source review is going to be due this week and then the outline is going to be due the next week and whatever. And then all of a sudden 
I was on my own. It's just like with anybody who gets a, a you know, a new job, there's a learning curve of not sure. just like, what do I need to know to do the job, but how do I manage myself? You know, how do I manage my time? How do I make sure that I'm getting the right things done? And because of that, I, I found myself very interested in productivity optimization. And so early 2000s, let's say around kind of 2005, I was obsessed with productivity hacks, you know, reading books and blogs and, and like, you know, trying to be as efficient and optimized as possible. Mm-hmm. And I found after a couple of years of kind of tweaking that and you know, really focusing on, on this idea of, of optimally using every single minute, I found that I had become really, really productive at reacting to other people's priorities. You know, when, when an email came in, I was on it. When a meeting got scheduled, I was there. I was prepared for it. Um, when somebody needed something, I, I, I had it for them. And um, being responsive like that is obviously important. Um, we can't just, you know, live in a bubble and ignore people. But at the same time, I think we can all understand that nobody ever accomplished anything great by being the fastest to respond to email. You know, that's not like when when the biographies of, of successful entrepreneurs are written, it's not about how, um, you know, how responsive she was. You know, it's not about how, um, how every, everybody knew they would get a, a text back right away from that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess my, my perspective has really shifted into not how do we be productive, which I, I view as being about um, output and, and efficiency and quantity, but knowing that we have a finite amount of time and an infinite number of things that we could do, how do we choose the right ones, the things that actually matter? And then once we've identified those things, how do we set up our, our days and our lives so that we can really give those things the time and the energy and the focus that they deserve. Not try to squeeze those things in between meetings or get to them at the end of the day or, or whatever, but really build our days around them so that we can focus on those parts of work or, or you know, even those things in our personal life that, that matter most. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like, I didn't really understand until I worked with this specific coach um, through the entrepreneur organization. And he's like, why do you have a pet product? And why are you in the wedding industry? And why are you in the productivity industry? And he's like, you have all this stuff. And can you just pick one and focus? Because if you would just Mm. focus on one, you would be so impactful in that one area that you're so passionate about, but you have yourself spread so thin. And he started to make me, well, he told me if I didn't track my time that he was going to fire me. I'm like, what? (laughs) So I literally learned how to track my time, how to do time blocking, how to, um, he made me like color code everything so I could see how unbalanced shit was in my life when everything was in all of our meetings are red, all of working on the business, not in the business is in green. Blue is like home stuff, me stuff, family stuff. And he's like, look at how you're a workaholic. He's like, why are you doing all of this? And I'm like, nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) I, I don't know. So it's like when people actually start to ask you these really simple questions of 
well, you're always saying you're too busy. And if you really wanted to do something, you would make the time. So when people come to say to you, like if something matters, what are your top suggestions? Which I'm sure you're going to say, you're going to have to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) But like, what are some takeaways? Yeah, um, totally. That, you know, but anybody that's listening, go get the book. Like it's, (laughs) it's simple, make time. And we all bitch and complain and moan and groan that we don't have enough time. And when people complain and get negative around me with time, I'm like, it's your own damn fault. Like you need to say no more and you need to think about, do I really want to go to dinner with this person? Do I really want to work with this company? Do I really want this client? Are they going to be, are they on our list of the things that are in alignment with our goals and where we want to go and where we want to grow. And so it's really easy to say yes all the time. It's actually way easier to say yes than it is no, but definitely perspective on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I actually just, um, so, so let me start with a little bit of context. So our book make time is the culmination of years of experimenting both as individuals, but then also with all the teams that we've been able to work with. And we kind of structured it like a cookbook. So it doesn't give you like a prescriptive step-by-step. It doesn't say, do all these things and you will make good use of your time. Because we don't think that's realistic. And, And in fact, I've been down that road so many times of getting the latest, you know, productivity system, the book, whatever it is, and going through and following it to the letter and then and then having it start to fall apart and feeling like a failure because I wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to create a book that was that people could personalize, that they could take and they could adapt to their own life. And so we think of Make Time as a cookbook. So it's a collection of recipes. The goal is not that you're going to do all the recipes. The goal is that you will pick out the ones that appeal to you and then experiment with them, tweak them, make them your own. And then eventually over time, just like with a, you know, your favorite well-worn cookbook that's got, you know, grease stains in the corner and, and, you know, pages folded over and little bookmarks stuck inside. Eventually it kind of becomes your own personalized guide. Um, And, so there are a lot of different approaches and I tend to kind of think of them um, in terms of offense and defense. And a lot of people when they're trying to, when they're thinking about productivity, they, they start with defense and they think about, they start with, you know, how to not get distracted and, and you know, how to, you know, um, you know, stay on task and things like that. But we actually think it's much better to start with offense. And so the first section of the book is called Highlight. And you were talking about difficult questions. And one of the questions that we want people to ask themselves every day is, what do I want to be the highlight of my day? So not, not the passive view, not waiting until the end and looking back like and saying, you know, what was the highlight? Did anything good happen? But actually being proactive about it and saying, what's the one thing that I want to bring my best attention to? Um, is it something that needs to get done today? Is it something that is going to bring me great satisfaction, something I've been meaning to get around to, or even something that's just fun? And start with that. And I, it sounds super simple and it's, it sounds kind of ridiculous almost because it's, it's just this one thing, but it's amazing what a sense of clarity and purpose that creates for people when they, they start each day by thinking about that thing that they want to make time for. Um, we, we also touched on sort of this 
this bigger picture idea of like, what are the things that I want to be saying yes to and no to in my life? And there's, there's a tactic in the book called stack rank your life. And we do this at the beginning of our workshops and at the beginning of our online course. And it's, it's really a, an opportunity to take stock of all the things that, that use up your time and use up your energy. Um, and so we have people go through an exercise of making a list of all the kind of big things in their life. So it might be, um, you know, might be running my business and it might be, you know, um, if I'm on a board or if I'm, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a parent, you know, being, being a good dad or, you know, um, staying healthy and, and staying fit, you know, whatever sort of the big categories of your life are that, that take up some of your bandwidth listing those all out and then ranking them in two different ways. The sort of ideal ranking of what, you know, which one do you, do you, you know, deep down inside, which one is most important to you? But then the, but then next to it, the actual ranking. So where does your time actually go? And then looking for the contrast or the differences between those numbers. So, you know, if there are things that, that you say are really important to you, but you're, you're not actually spending any time on them. And conversely, if there are things that, that aren't really that important, like staying on top of social media mentions and replies, but you're yeah. actually spending a ton of time on that, um, that becomes then like a roadmap to, you know, to start to, to make changes. So, so the stack rank your life, this idea of the highlight. And, and then I think once you've, you've begun to do that, you can, then you can start to get defensive and you can start to say, now that I've got this clear sense of, what I do want to be making time for, how am I going to create barriers around a lot of the distractions and the other things that, that kind of eat up my time? And that's where our, our sort of experience as technology designers comes in because we believe that it's not enough to turn off notifications or kind of do, do simple, you know, hacks um, to make your phone a little bit less distracting. We think that if you want to be in control of how you're spending your time and what you're paying attention to, you really need to go to the source and, and cut off access to, to the apps that distract you. So um, one of the, one of the tactics in the book that I think has been the biggest quality of life improvement for me over the last um, few years is called the distraction free phone. And it's a phone and I, what is that? my phone <laughs> sitting right next to me, but, but it, it's, it, it has no, I don't have email on my phone. I don't have social media. I don't have news apps. I don't have games. Um, I don't have streaming video. So my phone literally, you know, if I, if I reach for it or, you know, if it's sitting there on the table, there's literally no way that I can get sucked in to my phone. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, my, you know, my phone has an amazing camera. It's got, you know, I can listen to music and podcasts. I can download any book in the world in five seconds. I can, you know, uh, I can control the music that's playing in my apartment. I can, you know, do all the amazing things that our phones can do, but, but do those things as, um, you know, in support of, of what's important to me. Um, because I think all too often we get this sense that we're being used by technology, you know, that, mm -hmm. that it's in charge. And that's because I think we, we, we leave the defaults of how our devices and how our apps are configured. We leave those in place and we don't take those steps to actually play defense and try to set up some of those barriers. Yeah. I was in a, um, 
recently, it was like a day long business retreat. And the guy leading it was like, how many of you think that your iPhone is ruining your children, your life, you know, all that. And it's funny because like half the room raised their hands and he's like, put your hands down. All of you put your hands down. <laughs> he's like, it's not the technology. It's you. And you do not have the the brain power almost, and you're allowing the distraction and you have to be demanding with your time. And it's like, you almost, it's like, oh, there's some cookies, but you're like not supposed to eat sugar. And you just, you got to have a little bit of practice and faith that you have to put boundaries and God laws in place. And he's like, when you think of it like that, now I'm going to ask you the same question again. And how many of you are going to raise your hand that you're guilty of giving in and of the distraction and like, you know, everybody raised their hand. Yeah. So it was neat that he said it like that. Yeah. That, that, that's actually a really interesting way to look at it because I think it's very illuminating because obviously we don't want to absolve ourselves of responsibility. Um, in fact, it's one of the, one of the big messages in our book is that, you know, it's, um, we tell people it's, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Um, and, and you need to, I think if you want to make changes to these things, you need to understand the dynamics at play. And so, you know, if we take the, the example of the cookies, you know, if you, um, you've got a, you know, you're, you're out, you're eating unhealthily, you're, you, you know, you weigh more than you'd like to, you know, you've got chronic, you know, health issues because of your diet. Sure. You could try to white knuckle it. You could summon all your willpower, grit your teeth and say, you know what, I'm going to eat healthy today. I'm going to eat healthy today. And you might have some success with that in the short term, but the, the research on habits is very, very clear. And, and anything we do repetitively, um, anything we do repeatedly, I should say, becomes a habit, whether we choose to make it a habit or not. That, that's what happens in our brains. Um, but the research on habits is very clear that willpower is not a sustainable strategy for overcoming bad habits. And so if you have, again, have problems with, you know, eating the cookies, <laughs> eating whatever the foods are, you might have some success with, with sort of trying to stay strong, but you're going to be far more successful if you never allow cookies into your kitchen. Amen. <laughs> you know, if you, if you take <laughs> willpower out of the equation, because that willpower, that takes energy. You know, that's a bit of your, your life force. Uh, and, and you don't want to be spending that life force on on avoiding the cookies, you want to be spending it on your work or your relationships or yourself, the things that matter. And so whenever possible, we try to help people kind of outsource their willpower, you know, and that's where things like removing the apps from the phone of taking responsibility and say, what is the relationship I want to have with this thing? This technology is powerful. It can do amazing things for me, but but I'm in charge. You know, I'm the human here. Um, so, so let's only allow into the kitchen the foods that we want to eat. Let's only allow onto our devices the apps that we want to use. Let's only allow into our, our inboxes the, the information that, that, you know, we, that we care about that, that is going to really help us. Um, and, and anyway, I'm glad you brought up that, that example because I, yeah. I think it's a, it's a really important way to look at, at these dynamics. 
Yeah. Well, I feel like the number one thing that's talked about, like we're working with a client right now who's a huge influencer in keto diet. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of a healthy cult thing, but it's like, oh my God, like the people that follow these different like Atkin diets. And I mean, I thought that like my industry, people who were like productivity crazy, um, you know, that we were like die hard, like don't waste our time. But these food people is a whole different level. And yeah. so it's like, wow, um, they are committed and, but it like takes commitment, but it, it it's the exact same thing, like in productivity and allowing the distractions in, it's like, just take it off your phone. Mm -hmm. And like, if you, if I ask like 10 people around me or, you know, in my office when I'm there, it's like, would you do that? They would look at me as if someone gave me drugs. Like, <laughs> what? but so when do you like check email and social? Like, do you time block that? And you're like, I'm only going to do it a, an hour a day when I'm sitting at my computer and not on my phone. Or do you just not do it? Period. Uh, so no, I take the sort of time blocking approach. Um, and there's a, a kind of a few different strategies or tactics, I guess, that I, that I layer, um, to, to directly answer your question. I have a couple of email slots scheduled on my calendar every day. So I have two quick checks in the morning just to see if there's anything, um, time sensitive. Um, they are at, I'm actually going to look at my calendar and tell you for real where they are, just so you know that I'm not making stuff up. Yeah. Um, my first email check is at 8.30 a.m. My second email check is at 11.30, right before lunch. Um, and I wake up at about 6.30 usually. Um, kind of varies with the seasons a little bit, but but my goal is to wake up and to have a couple of hours of uh, focus time because that's mm -hmm. when I have my best energy for writing and for, for creating things. Um, and so uh, my wife and I, we, we, we charge our phones um, and other devices inside a closed cabinet. So they're in there okay. overnight. So wake up in the morning and, and, you know, and, and try to start my day intentionally before I jump into email or anything else. Um, and then in the afternoon, I have a, um, an email block. It's actually, it's my admin block. It's from 3.30 to 5. It just mm -hmm. says ad, admin on my calendar. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that is when I do most of my email kind of processing um, as well as, as anything else, you know, any kind of administrative stuff that's on my plate. Um, but so, so I think at the, at the base level, time blocking, um, and then there's there's a couple ways to kind of ratchet up that strategy. So the next the next layer is uh, something we we call design your day, which is one of the tactics in make time, and that is to take that idea of time blocking, but to really like go to the extreme with it and literally block out every single hour of the day. And so that's what I do. So I've got you know everything from you know, the first item on my calendar is wake up and make first cup of coffee. <laughs> and then it goes through, you know, my first working block and email and breakfast and shower and, and working block again. And all these things um, includes social time, includes happy hour, dinner, um, winding down at the end of the day. So that's the second layer is, is design your day. And then the third layer that I have recently started doing is, um, is something they call a calendar template. And it is a secondary calendar. So it's, it, 
it's not my main calendar, but it's, I use Google calendar. So I have my personal calendar and then my, my wife and I have a shared calendar. And then I have a, an additional calendar, which is just called template. And it, um, it's set up to repeat every day with a few variations for different days of the week when I do certain things, but it's kind of my, it's my foundation. It's the thing that's always there on my calendar. And so, you know, if somebody asks, Oh, next Thursday, can you, you know, uh, join us for a, a video uh, fireside chat? You know, I, I'm looking at my calendar and if I, if I don't have, you know, I don't have something scheduled there, you know, I'm not just going to see a blank space. I'm going to actually see, that thing for my calendar template. I'm going to see, oh, that's, that is a block of time when I was going to be working on a project. Um, and am I willing to make that trade off? Am I willing mm-hmm. to give that thing up? And so um, I like to, I like to have this, um, you know, this, this calendar template that, that sort of captures the building blocks of my ideal day and my ideal week and have that there as the backdrop for my calendar so that I can make more informed decisions about, about what I'm saying yes or saying no to. That's awesome. And just, I was also looking at the book. It looks like there is like a three-step or a four-step yeah. process that you have, and you started to touch on one of them. And then what do the other components of your new book what exactly does because you talked about highlight the one thing in the day yep and then i'm assuming you know be laser focused and put your energy into that yep, exactly. and then to reflect so are those the the three main things and the whole point of this is you decide where you want your energy to go to be laser focused yeah so there's 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 this collection of 87 different tactics in the book. So this, like I said, it's the sort of this cookbook, but they're all unified around these four steps. So yeah, highlight is all about really your intention or your priority. Laser is all about creating barriers around distractions so that you can be laser focused. Energize is about taking care of yourself of your body and your brain so that you're actually able to make the most of those moments. You're actually able to, you know, be present and bring your energy to those things that you care about. And then reflect is maybe the the simplest, but I think might be the most important step of the whole framework. And it's about paying attention to what what's working and what's not working and, and making tweaks over time. And that's kind of the secret to personalizing this framework and making it your own instead of it just being like a one size fits all system. Um, and it, it's funny, we, you know, especially those of us who are, you know, entrepreneurs building business, you know, kind of motivated to be successful. We're so used to being analytical and critical about our work. Right. And, and we do postmortems and retrospectives and analyses of, of all kinds of stuff, but we're not used to doing that about our time. You know, we're not, we're not in the habit mostly of looking back and saying, what did I really spend my time on? And was it the stuff that I, that I said I cared about? So the goal with, with reflect this fourth step is to give people a really simple kind of template for doing that reflection every day so that they can make the next day a little bit better than the one that came before. So for people who have children and homeschooling and distractions, 
and they feel as though they don't have a they don't have as much control as those of us who don't have kids or we're not married or we are you know it's real easy when you're by yourself and or at least i think it's easy it's like when you're in charge of yourself and you don't have to worry about anybody else i feel yeah. like my day is going to be amazing and nobody's <laughs> going to mess it up but then when i have my sister's four kids or something happens with my mom and she falls or it's like how do you handle those types of things where, you know, it still is important. And it, sometimes I, I find myself getting angry and I'm like, you effing hijacked my day, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm like getting really irritated, but it's like, you know, you don't plan to fall. You don't get into a, you don't plan to get into a wreck. You don't plan for your kids to be puking all over the place. How, what for, for like unplanned distractions, but things that you actually have to pay attention to, like, how do you help people? How can the book help people like get back on track? with like what the, those types of distractions, I guess, life distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Also known as life, <laughs> life yes, itself. Life. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think probably the most important uh, mindset for dealing with those unexpected things is, um, is kind of the idea that, that every day is a blank canvas, you know, every day is a new opportunity. And that's why this idea of reflecting is so important. And that's why we encourage people to choose a daily highlight. Um, it's not about kind of building up this perfect master plan of, of a perfectly sequenced series of steps that lead to this, this ideal moment. You know, it's about kind of taking it one day at a time and, and then kind of being flexible with yourself and saying, you know what, Today did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Today was not the perfect day, but tomorrow I'm going to try again. Tomorrow I'm going to start this process over with a new highlight. I'm going to, you know, maybe there's some, some uh, you know, an app that I, I installed on my phone to check it out. I'm going to uninstall that. You know, maybe I um, didn't have great energy because I, I um, you know, I got up too early or I went to bed too late. I'm going to tweak that and I'm going to try again. Um, and so, so that's, I think, the most important kind of overarching mindset. But I've got a couple other thoughts. Um, yeah. The one is that I think, I think people underestimate how much they can get out of even a small amount of, of kind of prioritization and change to their defaults. You know, I think people... Um, have this idea, and I certainly I was this way years ago, particularly when I was so into productivity. You know, I had this idea that everything had to be perfect, and that my whole life had to be organized, and I had to have everything in my you know my GTD system and my filing you know cabinet and all that stuff. Um, but the truth is that even if you just make time for that one highlight, you know, even if you're you know, let's say 80% of your day, you can't control, you can't move those meetings, you can't change the fact that you've got kids and they have, they have school and you can't change the fact that, you know, things are going on. But if there's one part of your day, if there's one hour, there's one half an hour that you can make yours, that you can be intentional about, um, we've, we've heard from people again and again, people from all walks of life, all different lifestyles who have said, just knowing that I made time for that thing, that really, that made the difference for me. And so, um, you know, I, I encourage people who are thinking about this stuff to really start small and really, you know, just say, I'm just going to try this one 
highlight. I'm going to try picking out this one thing. I'm going to make this one change to my phone. I'm going to remove what we call it distraction kryptonite. You know, the thing that, that renders yeah. you powerless. You know, you don't have to go for the whole thing. You know, maybe you'll get there someday, but, but you can really, you can get a lot out of these, these small changes. Um, and then the, the, the last thing I wanted to say about this was that um, I was actually just having this conversation with my my co-author Jake, and he's got two sons. He has a his oldest is sixteen, and I think his youngest is nine, something like that. And uh, we were talking about he lives in Seattle, and so they are about a month ahead of uh, th- those of us in the Midwest mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the COVID crisis and kind of being on lockdown. And um, so I was talking to him about he how he had managed through this process, and particularly with kids and and th- them being at home and everything. And he said that the first couple of weeks were really, really hard. And he just yeah. felt like any plan that he made, it got crushed because mm-hmm. something would always come up. Something would, would not go the way they thought it was going to. And it was, it was super frustrating and demoralizing. And so eventually they made a schedule. And I know it, it sounds so obvious and so simple, but um, he said the key was that they all sat down together. They did it as a family um, and they literally put it on a calendar. So they said like, all right, what time, you know, what time is breakfast? Um, how long does it actually take to bre- make breakfast? You know, like, like, yeah. okay, don't forget about the dishes. Got to put that in there, you know? And so they, they had these conversations about uh, realistically, what are we going to do and when and how long is it going to take? And everybody was a part of that process. And he said it made a world of difference. Um, so again, I know it seems really obvious and it's, it seems simple, but this idea of designing your day, of scheduling your day, um, either alone or, or with the people that you live with, the people that you work with, but kind of being intentional and putting down that plan, I think that can make a world of difference. Yeah. And especially for the kids, like, it's so funny because everyone, you know, in the workplace, we're all like passing around Zoom calls, like making fun of other companies that haven't used Zoom ever. And, um, you know, it gives you a good laugh, but it's like, and everyone's like, oh, the parents are so stressed out. And it's like, what about the poor kids? Like, they're freaking stressed out too. Like, they're not enjoying this. Like I, I know this because I'm around these kids sometimes. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a little video on, I'll create like little authentic videos for different companies and how these kids are taking it. And so I was interviewing these two little girls and um, I'm like, so are you love being at home? I mean, you get to cuddle with your dog and you get to work on your dad's laptop. And the little girl looks at me and she was like, no, it is not fun. I <laughs> my friends and my teachers and my mom has this thing called a schedule and it's <laughs> extremely complicated. Like you don't understand. It was like the cutest. She's like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. It was like thing <laughs> ever. And so then I sent it to her mom when I was like done editing the video and I'm like, good job of implementing a schedule and like making your kids understand that it's highly important yeah. that they stay on schedule. And so to me, I mean, that kind of goes back to implementing a parenting child style to help your child focus, to make time for the things that they want to make, you know, it kind of comes back full circle. Yeah. Um, 
But in terms of really um, starting new projects, and I'm sure that people ask you because you have such an amazing wealth of knowledge on your, your journey. And so I'm sure you get asked a lot, like all these new things like, hey, John, come help me with this. Hey, John, like, do you still get that? Or have you pretty much everyone that's around you, you've kind of like potty trained their brain of like, I'm only <laughs> going to prioritize certain things. And like, how do you know when it's really a good project that you're going to work on? That's kind of the million dollar question. Um, right? <laughs> I, I don't have a super great answer because for me, um, particularly since I started working for myself and running my own business, um, deciding which things to say yes to and which things to say no to has become the single biggest challenge that I have. Um, and I, I have a lot of different frameworks that I use. You know, sometimes I, I've got different kind of scoring systems and things like that, different yeah. um, kind of mental models, uh, thinking about short-term versus long-term and cost versus benefit and, and things like that, that I sometimes use. But there's a, a, a couple of thinking tools that, that I think are, have been the, the most helpful for me. Um, one is a tactic that I just, uh, just recently came up with actually. And, and, and even though we've, we published the book and there's, there's a bunch of tactics in the book, we continue to come up with new, new concrete ways of doing things. And the, this one that I just came up with is called the iceberg. Yes. And so if you imagine an iceberg, and sticking above the water is a beautiful shimmering uh, white uh, peak of that iceberg. And of course, below the surface of the water is, is most of the mass, most of the bulk of the iceberg. Um, and, and when we say yes to things, we're saying yes to the peak, right? We want the beautiful shiny part. But everything that we say yes to most of the, the work involved, most of the actual obligation or commitment or responsibility is below the surface. And so when I'm saying yes to something now, uh, I'm not only trying to think about that entire iceberg, but I'm literally scheduling all the, all the bits of time that are going to be required to, to do that thing. So for example, if I get invited to give a speech at a conference um, or, or these days a, a live video talk, mm -hmm. I'm not just scheduling in that talk on my calendar, but I'm scheduling in all the time to prepare for it. So, you know, if it's a, if it's a talk that I've done before, then I know that I probably need probably three to four hours to kind of update the slides a little bit and to rehearse a few times. So where's that going to fit? Um, if it's an ongoing responsibility, like joining a, a board, you know, okay, so the meetings are, are once a quarter, you know, I'm going to schedule those obviously, but, but how much prep work is involved? Well, it's, you know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's, it's going to be, uh, two mornings worth of prep work the week leading up to it, or there's going to be, you know, maybe there's travel involved to get there. And so, so when I say yes to something now, I try to use this idea of the iceberg, the iceberg, yes, to, to schedule, not just the thing itself, not just the part I can see, but the part that I tend to ignore. Um, and, and that has really, really helped me because it, it helps me be much more realistic about what I'm actually saying yes to. Um, 
And on the flip side, when I say no to something, it, it's, it feels all the more amazing because I know that I, I just said no to this, this uh, massive iceberg instead of saying no to just the, the tiny little part of it. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other, the other kind of thinking tool that I'll share when it comes to prioritization and, and, and sort of figuring out what to say yes to is something that I call emergent thinking. And it's, it's basically... Um, is kind of a fancy word for like daydreaming. And, uh, you know, it comes from creating space in our days, which is something that is really hard to do. You know, the, the defaults of our world and our technology are to be always doing something. You know, if you're, if you're going for a walk, you're listening to a podcast. You know, if you're doing the dishes, you're listening to an audiobook. You know, there's sort of this, I think, expectation that especially if you, if you want to make the most of yourself, there's this expectation that you are going to always be, you know, trying to learn or trying to absorb something. Mm-hmm. But when we do those things, we don't give our brains time to really um, do what brains do best, which is, which is work things out and solve problems and be creative. And so I try to build as much kind of empty space into my days as possible. So even something as simple as going for a walk, but not taking headphones you know, not listening to something Um, or, you know, doing chores around the house and just not having any music on and not having the TV on or the radio on. I find, and I don't know if this is universally true, but I find that, that from those moments, insights and clarity emerge. And that's why I call it emergent thinking because it's not, it's not directed. It's not a, you know, it's not like sitting down with a worksheet and saying, okay, what's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to write out the pros and cons of this decision. You know, it's, it's something much more intuitive than that. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think we ought to embrace intuition. We ought to trust ourselves um, at some level. And so I try to kind of set up the conditions so that I can, I can use intuition when I'm trying to make a decision about what I should do. Yeah. And if some people think I'm crazy, but like if, with this whole like global pandemic COVID shit, it's just like, I will go a few days in a row and I'll like keep the news on in the background, which I didn't even have TV. I have a lot of monitors. And then my mom's like, Angela, you should really get like basic cable so that you can understand what's going on with the news. Cause you know, the older <laughs> generation, you can't get your news from anything other than channel two, four and five where I live, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so, you know, I'll have it on the background and then I'll go for a week and I'm, I like sit in complete silence I do not talk to anyone, but those are, we call them our GSD days where we get shit done and like nothing, nothing is in existence to me around the world of like whatever is on my freaking whiteboard. I am getting that done today and nobody's going to stop me. Uh, But when you don't have, you know, distractions, like I have two dogs. So it's like, you know, they'll bark or something, but I get so much more done when I actually sit in silence. Yeah. People don't understand it. And I'm like, just try it. And when I homeschooling a 17 year old, she's like, and Angela, can we really turn on some music? I'm like, why does silence make you uncomfortable? (laughs) No, we're going to sit in silence and you're going to learn how to focus. And then she goes upstairs and get her headphones. I'm like, nope, you're not going to use the headphones either. And she was like almost angry with me. And I'm like, just try it and see how much more focused you are. And I bet you, you can actually get done quicker 
then bringing all the other distractions in. And she did end up, you know, getting done with it. And then she's like, can we go for ice cream? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you, you did a new trick today. So yes, we'll get ice cream. <laughs> but until you try it, you don't know like how amazingly you can get all this stuff done. Like yeah. in seven hours or eight hours. Yeah. Well, and I really like what you said about kind of uh, alternating between those, those plugged in periods and those unplugged periods. And, and I think that's a really key insight, this idea of compartmentalizing your time. And so, yeah, sure. Having a, having a period when you're going to be saturated with, with the news and what's going on and, and you're going to spend, you know, Great. Spend do an admin afternoon where you're just literally in your email all afternoon, just cranking through things, taking care of things. Um, but but then switch modes and have a period where you're literally not paying attention to anything in the outside world, like you said, where you're totally focused on one task instead of jumping from from email to email to email. Um, and I think the the problems arise when we let those things blur together when we let those things mix together and you know we've got kind of meetings scattered throughout the week leaving these little scraps of time you know we 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 try you know answer a couple emails here and there we check email on our phone when we're waiting in line and then you know that 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 message that we saw that we weren't actually able to do anything about now it's kind of rattling around in the back of our brain um when we kind of blend these things together then i think it becomes difficult to do any one of those things really great um but I think when we can compartmentalize our time, focus on one thing at a time and doing it well, even if it is answering email or even if it is watching the news or whatever, but when we can be deliberate about that, I think then we can, we can amaze ourselves with what we're, what we're capable of. Yeah, totally. So one last question as we wrap up, because I could talk you off about productivity and forever, <laughs> so I'll just go get your book. But so... I know like the outcome of when people learn how to invest their time. And like one thing that I see listed is when you invest your time, you'll crush your competition. And so like I have a client right now that he constantly sends me, forwards me. And I don't know why he's on every competitor's email list. I don't know if that's a smart thing or not a smart thing, but like I've not gotten to where I am because I was watching, nor do I give a shit what other people are really doing. I know how I can help serve other people. And like, I stay in my lane and I focus on listening to my audience, but is that healthy to like pay attention and like a good way to spend your time? And so what do you mean when you say like, learn how to invest your time and like crush the competition? Like so many people that are listening, they care so much about what other people are doing because they're worried that they're like getting ahead. Yeah. And it's like, and, and quite frankly, it annoys the shit out of me. And so, and like my assistant sees it and she's like, why does he keep sending us? Like we've never, ever had a client do this before. And yeah. she's like, should we tell him to stop? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, actually I think 
like tell him that I haven't gotten to where I am because I've signed up for other people's email list to stock what they're doing. I'm like, if it's actually good information and he's reading and it's helpful to him, but he's forwarding it to me saying he likes this and he wants to copy it. And I'm not doing that. Like I'm building an authentic audience and I'm going to listen to my audience. And you know, he's an older, older gentleman who doesn't understand sales funnels or anything like that. And I'm so close to just firing him, honestly, but the book (laughs) could help you understand that if you know how to invest your time and pay attention to your audience, then it actually, to me, doesn't matter what your competition's doing because you're serving the people that you want to serve based on your choices. So that's kind of what like, when I read that, I was like, huh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Now, how can I get other people to understand that? this? Yeah. The way that I think about this is that we, and this, this is not an original thought. There's actually research on this, that, yeah. that our experience of life is not, it's not just what happens to us. It's what we pay attention to. And so we can we can really kind of define our own existence by, by what we choose to pay attention to. You know, we can kind of direct our focus. And by doing that, we, we can change our reality. And so, you know, if you are competing, if you're building a business and you've got competitors, do you want your reality to be all about your competitors? No, I mean, at that to me anyway, that seems, it seems obvious that you wouldn't right. want that to be the case. Do you need to know sometimes what your competitors are doing? Sure. Is it important if you know if your competitors offer a feature or uh, a service that you don't, do you want to know about that? Sure. But you can get that in very, very isolated, efficient ways. Um, and an example for me is, you know, when it comes to social media, I use uh, Twitter and LinkedIn um, for, you know, for my work, for promoting the work that I do. Um, but, but I don't have those apps on my phone. And, um, and in fact, I schedule time to, to log into Twitter and LinkedIn every day to see what people are saying, to respond to questions, to post new things. Um, I use a, a scheduling app. So I use Edgar to schedule new posts so that I don't actually have to actually go in throughout the day and post things. Um, and so, you know, I feel like you could do a similar thing with um, what your competitors are doing. So, you know, if you said, yeah, you know, I, there, at some level, I want to be aware of my competitors. You could sign up for all their, their email lists, but you could have those automatically filtered into a certain folder of your email app. And then every two weeks, you could schedule on your calendar to just go through them and just kind of see, see what they're up to, right? And, and, and jot down, you know, have a notebook with you as you're doing it so that you can jot down your impressions of what you're seeing. Um, but I think if, if you are constantly paying attention to your competition. It's like, it's like constantly paying attention to anything. You know, if all you do is read, uh, you know, read the news, you're going to, you're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel, you know, kind of, uh, you know, worried about what's going on in the world. If, if all you do is um, sit in your email inbox, you know, you're going to be uh, frantic and, and sort of reactive and you're going to be focused on what other people are asking of you. Um, so, so when it comes to, you know, 
paying attention to something like competition, I think you have to get to the that big question that we we started out talking about, which is why. You know, why yeah. are you doing that? And then where can you put it? Where can you compartmentalize it? What barriers can you create around it? What defaults can you create around it, both in terms of schedule but also technology, to support what you want to get up get out of it instead of just kind of um, uh, switching it on to autopilot and, and going with whatever the the easiest path is. That's awesome. That's great. This has been so helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, it was great. Really enjoyed it. And the insights. And for those of you listening, be sure to go. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Audible, which is where I'm going to be going. Cool. I like to listen. And it's, yeah. it's Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day by John Zaretsky and Jake Knapp. That's so right. Look them up. And you've got another book too called Sprint. Yeah, yeah. And Sprint okay. describes the five-day design sprint process that Jake and I created when we were working at Google Ventures, working with all those startups that I talked about. Um, and it's um, make time is kind of your everyday individual, sort of your operating system for, for how you spend mm-hmm. your time. Design sprints are a process that you use when you're starting something big, something new, you're at the early stages of a new product launch, a new marketing campaign, you want to get the team aligned, you want to help people focus on solutions to that big thing that you're working on. That's awesome. And then if you guys also want to connect with John, he's on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then your website is johnzaretsky.com. We will put that in the show notes. It is spelled exactly how it sounds. And so we'll make it easy for you in the show notes. But thank you everyone for listening today and go check out Make Time so you can make more of your life and your time and your life matter while you're here. So everybody, thanks so much. Have a great day and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye. Now that you have all the tools you need to conquer the world in GSD, Just share this with your friends and your fellow GSD leaders and be sure you're a subscriber so you never miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled and you can ask Siri to listen to the latest episode, but you got to be a subscriber. Before I go, I have a huge favor to ask and it would mean the world to me. While you're listening, snap a quick screenshot, post it to your Instagram story, tag me at gsdleader underscore And share with me your top takeaway from this episode and how it relates to you. Until next time, remember, stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit angelaprofit.com.